So this morning we are kicking off a new sermon series called Critical Conversations. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be exploring together some of the last words of Jesus that are found in the Gospel of John. And so to to kind of get us thinking about this series, to kind of get us thinking about where we're going to be going, I want us to go on a car ride together. And so we hop into this car together and in the car, in the driver's seat, is Dad. Now, Dad is wearing a military uniform, his wife is sitting in the passenger seat, and there are two kids who are seated seated in the back seat. Dad is in the Air National Guard, he has just recently been called up into active duty. The family is on their way to the armory in order to, uh, Dad is going to be deployed, Dad is leaving. And so now as they sit in the car, I want us for just a moment to kind of listen to the conversation that's happening there, to just kind of imagine what would be going on here. I imagine that as they take this car trip together, there are a couple of things that they are not talking about. I guarantee that they are not talking about last weekend's all-star game at the M- with the NBA. I I, I guarantee that they're also not talking about who is the next person to get eliminated on The Voice. I'm sure that that's not part of their conversation. That's not the conversation that's happening in the car. Those are not the important things that they're talking about. I imagine the conversation maybe to go something a little bit like this, that dad is driving and he looks over at his wife and he says, hey, honey, Uh, Just remember, the the financial papers are in the bottom drawer of the desk, and there are a a bunch of notes on everything, and and, and yet it's all right there, okay? And and he might say something like, "Uh, you know what, make sure that the power of attorney papers get turned in. I've signed them all, I've, I've had them notarized, I just need to make sure that you get them turned in. And also... There's this car maintenance log in the glove box. I have a little book in in the glove box here in the car, and and I keep track of all of the maintenance things that I do on the car, things like uh, changing the oil and changing the battery and changing the tires, and uh, everything is up to date right now, but um, I just need you to periodically look in on this and check uh, to make sure that everything stays up to date. I don't want you to have any problems with the car. And I imagine Dad looking in the rearview mirror, and he starts talking to the kids who are in the back seat. And maybe he says something like this, Johnny, do you remember how to start the lawnmower? You know, there's a primer on the side, and you just have to push that button like three, four times before you pull the cord, but it'll start up right away if you do that. And I just need you to keep up with the lawn. I need you to make sure that you're taking care of the lawn. I don't want your mom to have to worry about that. And then he looks at at Mia and he he says, Mia, um, you know what, you're a smart girl and I I really need you to uh, take care and help your brother out with his schoolwork. Make sure that he keeps up with things. Uh, I need you to step up and make sure that he stays on top of this. I imagine this conversation uh, that's happening in this car and Dad is kind of zeroing in on some things that he wants to make sure that the family is aware of, that, that they need to know about, that he typically takes care of. As he's leaving, he wants to make sure that they know what needs to happen. And so that's kind of the scene that Jesus is having here with his disciples as we come to the Gospel of John today. And so if you have a Bible with you or you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app. 
But I want to invite you to join me in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And Jesus and his disciples, they are sitting together in this upper room. It's an event called the Last Supper, and it's like the final meal that Jesus and his disciples are going to have together. They, they eat this meal together, they have some conversations there in the upper room, and they leave this room and they begin to walk to a garden. This garden is just outside of the city walls of Jerusalem, and all along the way, Jesus is having conversations with his disciples. And in these conversations, we have this sense that Jesus is kind of zeroing in on these things that are absolutely critical for his disciples to know. Because Jesus is leaving. He's not going to be there personally with them in the same way that he is right now at this moment. We pick up today's conversation. It's John chapter 13. We're going to begin there in verse 1. And here's what we read. Now before the feast of the Passover... Uh, just uh, the, the feast of the Passover, it was like a national holiday, a national festival for the Jewish people. It, it was kind of like their Independence Day, their 4th of July. It, it says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come uh, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So Jesus is getting ready to leave, and he is very aware of this as he's sitting there at this meal with his disciples. Now, if there was a, a soundtrack to this conversation, I think that the soundtrack would maybe sound something like this. Tick, 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 tick. There's this conspirator who is in their midst. The conspirator has set a plan in action. The time that Jesus has is very, very limited, and Jesus is focusing in here on some critical conversations. Now, the conversation today is not simply a spoken conversation, but it is incredibly interesting that Jesus begins to act out part of this conversation. In fact, in the next verses, I want you to just see here all of the action words that we read, beginning there in verse 4. The meal is already in progress, and it says that Jesus arose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So there are a bunch of action words here. It says that Jesus got up. It says that there was this basin that was there, and he took uh, some water and poured the water into the basin. After that, he takes this towel, and he wraps this towel around his waist, and, and he begins to take off his outer clothing. Now... <laughs> As this is happening here, I imagine this, this is very, very uncomfortable. 
I mean, this is very, very awkward as Jesus is doing this here in this moment. I mean, they don't have china dishes back then, but I imagine that if they did, there would be no more clinking of the silverware anymore. And, and, if, um, and, and this is just an absolutely silent moment as Jesus begins to take off his outer clothing and then he takes this towel and he wraps it around his waist. He's basically taking all of the actions that a servant would do. No Jewish rabbi, no Jewish leader would ever do what it is that Jesus is doing. It is incredibly awkward in this room, in this moment. Now, just to kind of take a moment to kind of talk about foot washing in Jesus' day, um, we're, we're going to talk about their culture and the fact that in their culture, they would only wear sandals. I mean, there were no socks, there were no boots, there were no tennis shoes, there were no, nothing covering your feet, the tops of your feet. You would wear sandals around everywhere that you would walk. I want you to imagine what it would be like to walk around with sandals all of the time. I brought a picture here of a city street uh, with garbage laying all over the ground here. And I believe this is New Orleans uh, one year after Mardi Gras, but just imagine that you are walking down this city street and you have sandals on and you are walking uh, over all of this garbage that's there on the ground. You're caught up in a conversation with someone else that you're walking closely with. And as you're walking, you don't notice it, but you accidentally knock over this empty beer can that is sitting there in the street. And it splashes all over your feet. Uh, empty pizza boxes, bags of trash from the fast food places just around the corner. And your feet are just getting absolutely filthy. Let's go back e even further. Go back uh, a thousand years, thousands of years, and, and maybe you take a look at this next picture. And I want you to just kind of imagine a dirt road and a little bit of rain, and there are cattle and there are mules who are walking along the road as well. And they are leaving their deposits behind on the road. Now, we're talking about a culture where they did not have the same types of sanitation that we have today. Feet in Jesus' day were absolutely disgusting. No noble Jewish rabbi would ever have touched someone else's dirty feet. And yet Jesus, he grabs this towel and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And it is absolutely humiliating. I mean, this was an activity that was reserved for a servant and not just any servant. I mean, a Jewish servant was not allowed to do this. This was a non-Jewish person. This was a Gentile servant who would do this. This was an absolutely humiliating activity for a man of Jesus' stature, a rabbi like this to do. Now... Want to just take a moment here and kind of pull this into our culture today. And so I've brought along with me a, a toilet brush. All right. And, and I just want you to kind of imagine for a moment that you are having a dinner party at your home. There are people from your office who are there. The entire sales department is there. The vice president of marketing is there. In fact, the CEO of your company is there at the dinner party. 
Now, uh, you're, you're going, you've gone through the main floor. You have made sure that everything on the main floor is just absolutely spotless clean. That you have cleaned everything from the very top to the very bottom on that main floor. But now upstairs, well, that's a totally different story. I mean, it is still a disaster, an absolute mess. But it's okay because no one's really going to go upstairs, right? And so the dinner party guests arrive, the meal is underway, and partway through the meal, the CEO of your company gets up and he walks into the kitchen. Now, you think, well, that's kind of odd. But then you think, well, I mean, at least he feels comfortable in going to the kitchen and helping himself with, uh, to a few refills there. But a few minutes pass, and... Now he's not back, and you start wondering where he's at. And so you go looking for him. Uh, you, you don't see him anywhere there on that first floor, and so you go upstairs. And you get upstairs, and there you see the CEO of your company with his toilet brush in his hand, and he is uh, uh, in your absolutely disgusting bathroom. And he is scrubbing away. And he is making sure that everything gets clean. And he has his tie off, he has his shirt off, and you walk in and you see him in this moment. A little bit awkward, right? A little bit uncomfortable, a little bit embarrassing. It's not just embarrassing for him, but it's embarrassing for you as well. I mean, he's in your nasty bathroom, and he is, you've decided not to clean it up, and so he's cleaning it up. Now, let's take this just a little bit further once. Now the rest of the dinner party arrives upstairs as well. And everyone is standing outside of the door of your filthy, disgusting bathroom. And they are watching the CEO in this moment just scrubbing away, cleaning everything up. And it is awkward and it is humiliating and it is shameful. A person of Jesus' stature would never wash people's feet. You know, uh, Peter, he, he speaks up. He knows that this is not supposed to happen, and there is a little bit of shock in his voice. Verse 6, it says, He, Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. Now, in literature, there's a word for this. Uh, you're, you're reading through a novel and you come to something and you read it and you say, well, you know what? I don't really understand what, what's being said here. But then you keep reading and a little later on in the novel, you read something else and you say, oh, that's what they were talking about back there. There's a word for this and the word is called foreshadowing. And Jesus' action here is foreshadowing something else. Something else that Peter is going to understand later on. And what Jesus is foreshadowing here in this moment, he's foreshadowing his own crucifixion. The crucifixion, it would be painful. The crucifixion would be humiliating. The crucifixion would be embarrassing. You think about the accounts of people who mocked Jesus as they walked by. About those who gambled over his clothing and probably over a lot of other things as he was there at the cross. Uh, you think about the cheers of the people as he is sentenced to die. It is humiliating. It is embarrassing. 
Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I'm washing all of your dirty feet, but this is a picture of something that I am getting ready to do. I am getting ready to absolutely embarrass myself. Not embarrass myself in washing your filthy feet, but I am getting ready to wash your filthy soul, your filthy heart. Now, there's a word in the Bible that is used to describe the, the filth that is found in a person's heart, that's found in a person's soul. And that word is sin. One of Israel's first kings, a man by the name of David, David, um, he, he has this time in his life where his sin becomes very, very evident to him. His sin is, he, he understands his sin and how he has broken God's law, how he has broken God's heart. We have recorded a number of uh, psalms that David has written, and one of these psalms is a prayer. It is a time when David comes face to face with his sin. He comes face to face with the dirtiness of his heart. And in Psalm 51, David prays and he writes this to the Lord. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know, David uses this language of God washing and cleansing his sin of his filthy heart. And as we study this critical conversation of Jesus, we see here in this first scene that Jesus washes his disciples' feet. But as he washes his disciples' feet, it's actually pointing towards something that's going to happen just days from now. It's the crucifixion that he has come not simply to wash their feet, but he has come to wash their filthy hearts. He has come to wash their sin that goes back a long, long, long time. David says, I was sinful from birth. Well, I want you to just think about some of the words that a child says early on in life. You know, children often say things like mama and dada. But, but another very, uh, a word that they learn and say very early on is this word mine. And mine becomes the word, uh, it's a word of selfishness. Mine becomes a word of where you kind of think, you know what, every thought is about me. Every penny is about me. Every action, it's all about me. And this is a direct offense of, uh, to the God of the universe. In all actuality, everything is actually his, right? And he does not hoard all of this to himself. He likes to give. He likes to bless. And David says here in this prayer, listen, I understand that it is against you, God, and you only that I have sinned. Another word that children often say early on is the word no. No becomes, you know what? You're not the boss of me. 
And no becomes, you know what? Everything should be done my way. And this goes against what Jesus says. And this goes against what Jesus does. In fact, just a few hours after this scene in the upper room, Jesus is going to be in a garden and he is going to be praying. And he is going to pray, God, not my will, not my ways, but yours be done. Jesus' action of cleaning the disciples' feet is foreshadowing a washing of their filthy hearts. And Peter is a little bit stunned here about what Jesus is doing. And in verse 8, we read this. It says, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. It's like he says, Jesus, this is beneath you. You're not going to wash my filthy feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. He says, Peter, unless I wash you, not just your filthy feet, but unless I wash your filthy soul, your filthy heart, you can't have a relationship with me. There's a word that I want us to just kind of see and and think about here as it relates to this first scene here, and that's the word relationship. How does a person enter into a relationship with Jesus? We enter into a relationship with Jesus when we acknowledge our sin before him and when we call out to him for salvation to be our savior that he might come that he might cleanse our filthy hearts you know I think this brings up a very important question that we need to all consider here this morning and that is this have you let Jesus wash you have you let Jesus cleanse your filthy heart you say well I mean, I go to church, and I pray, and I give money, and, and I, I, I help out. I, I do things here in this church. We're not talking about Christianity, though, as a religion, as a set of good works that you have to do. Jesus, in this critical conversation, is talking about knowing him. He's talking about having a relationship with him. And so I, I ask you, have you let him wash you? This is the first thing that Jesus brings up in this series of conversations that he's having here with his disciples. And I think it's really important for us to understand how very critical this is. And so I just want us to take a moment here this morning and, and just think about this. I mean, if you have never acknowledged that you have sinned against the God of the universe, if you have never acknowledged before that your sin separates you from God, that you need a Savior... If you've never asked Jesus to come in and cleanse you of your sin, to wash you, your filthy heart, then that is something that you need to do. It's something that you need to do today. You say, well, how do I even do that? Well, you can do that by praying to the Lord, by acknowledging to him, just like David did, that you have sinned against him, that you need Jesus as your savior. In fact, the scriptures say that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can pray the prayer just like David prays here in Psalm 51 where he says, God, I have sinned against you. I know that my sin goes back a long, long way. From my birth, I was sinful and my heart is absolutely filthy. God, I know that I have offended you. 
I know that my sin separates me from you. God, I, I know that through Jesus Christ, I can experience the cleansing that I so desperately need. I accept Jesus as my Savior today. Come and wash my heart. Come and cleanse my soul. Make me new. You know, if you're making that decision today, or if you are just wanting to kind of think about or talk about this even more, I just want to invite you to come and talk to myself or Pastor Eden or one of our elders after the service today. I mean, we would love to talk to you more about what it means to experience the cleansing of your heart, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Really, this is the most important decision that you are ever going to make in your life. And I hope that you hear me on this. The first word that we talk about here in this first scene is the word relationship. And Jesus, by washing his disciples' feet, is giving us a picture of in this moment of what it means to have a relationship with him. But the conversation continues on. Verse 9, Peter basically says, Jesus, you know what, I'm all in. If this is what it means to have a relationship with you, then Jesus, I'm all in with you. And here's what we read there in verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. So first of all, Jesus talks about a relationship. And Peter says, you know what, I'm all in. <laughs> wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, wash everything. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, you're already clean. A person who's clean only needs to have their feet washed. Now, I want to go back into their culture for just a moment here. A person who is going to a dinner, uh, they, they would be going out for the dinner for, for the evening, and they would get cleaned up at their own home first. They, they would get a bath, they would get themselves cleaned up. But along the way to this dinner party, they would uh, be walking along a dirty road, a dusty road, and they, they would get uh, just dirty. Their feet would be filthy. They get to their destination, and there would be a servant there who would not give them an entire bath again, but they would just wash the feet. They would take care of their dirty feet. Jesus, in this first part in this scene, is talking about getting clean in order to enter into a relationship with him. And then there's kind of this shift in what he's talking about, and he talks about becoming clean. Now, this is really one of the great paradoxes of Christianity. That, that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you are free from sin. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. When God looks at you, he sees the perfect work of Jesus Christ in your life covering you. But at the same time, in our lives, we are going to continue to struggle with sin here in this world. And we are in the process of being clean. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we are made new, but at the same time, we are becoming new. That there are, there's this process where God is working on us, where he is molding us, he is shaping us, he is cleansing us. He is making us into who we already are in Christ. And as I think about this part of the story, 
The word that comes to my mind is the word renewal, the word uh, restoration. That here in this life, those of us who are in Christ are in the process of becoming who we already are, what we already are. Once we're in relationship with Jesus, we are clean, we are new. But there are always areas in our lives that need work on. And so I have a question for us to think about here today as it relates to this. And and that is, what needs to be cleaned up in your life? You know, for those of us who are in relationship with Jesus Christ, what needs to be cleaned up? What area of your life still needs restoration and renewal? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it feeling like you need to control your time? Feeling like you need to control your money? What is it that needs to be cleaned up for you? And I think that Jesus' encouragement here in this critical conversation is allow that area to be renewed. Allow that area to be restored. Become what you already are. What do you need cleaned up? The conversation continues on here. And in fact, Jesus is done washing the disciples' feet. He gets his outer clothing back on and now he sits down. And here's what we read beginning in verse 12. It says this. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher. You call me trainer. You call me Lord. You call me the boss. And you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. There's a final scene here that Jesus is painting. And this isn't just about a relationship with him. This is not just about renewal. But this is Jesus talking about here. He's talking about serving. And Jesus says, listen, I'm your trainer. I'm your boss. You know what? You need to be trained in doing things the way that I do. You need to do what I am telling you to do. And just as I have absolutely humbled myself and embarrassed myself in order to wash your feet, you need to serve the other people in your life and in your sphere of influence in the same way. Now, Jesus isn't simply just talking about foot washing here. And you know what's absolutely fascinating about this scene. I mean, Jesus here calls himself Lord and teacher. And if you go back to the very beginning of this passage in uh, verse 3, we we just read over that verse rather quickly earlier, but I want to read it to you again. And here's what it says. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now, this verse is talking about Jesus' absolute authority over everything. Everything in the universe, he has authority over it. And it is talking about that he is 100% God. That he is absolutely divine. He has absolute authority. He has absolute divinity. And yet Jesus humbles himself in order to serve. You know, as I think about this question, uh, as I think about this uh, statement, I guess, the, the question that comes to my mind is this. What, what is a position of authority that you have 
What, that, that could be a position of service? What is a position of influence? What is a position of authority that you have that is meant to be a position where you could serve people? The Apostle Paul, he's a missionary, he's a church planter in the early church, and Paul uh, brings up this exact idea. He writes about it to the early Christians in the first century, and, and this is found in Philippians chapter 2. He's talking about Jesus, and here's what he says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Jesus himself, with all of the power and authority that he has, he laid that all down, he became a servant in order to serve the world. What if a position of authority is really intended to be a position of service. Now, just to kind of get us thinking about this for a moment here, uh, a what, I want you to think about what position of authority you might have in your life. In fact, uh, we have an organizational diagram that we're going to put up on the screen here this morning. And this is just a uh, general, very basic org chart. But I want you to think about uh, what position of authority you might have, a position of influence that you might have in life. It, you know, it could be something like a grade school, grammar school uh, basketball coach. And maybe you have some assistant coaches, some uh, volunteers helping underneath. And, and then there's also all of the kids on the basketball team. It's a position of authority. Or maybe this is a teacher, and in your room, there is a teacher's aide. And of course, then there's all of the kids in the class as well. Or maybe you are a department manager, and there are people who are in your department that are under your authority, under your influence. What position of authority do you have? When, uh, what, what happens often is when we have a position of authority, when we have a position of influence, we often like to exert power. We like to exert control. That's the way that the world works, right? But, but what if um, we could think about this organizational chart in maybe a different way? And this next chart that we're going to put up on the screen, it's just flipped upside down. And what if your position of, of authority is to uh, support those around you? What if you're in a position in order to craft everyone else in, in the, uh, to be the people that God has intended them to be? What if your position of authority is really meant to be a position of serving other people? This is critical in Jesus' mind. And he brings this up here in this first conversation. Now, what in the world is going on with Jesus here? I mean, he's uh, taken off his outer clothing. He has absolutely embarrassed himself. A shameful act of washing the disciples' feet. He, he talks about what it means to be in relationship with him. He talks about what it means to be renewed and restored and uh, to be made new in life. And, and then he, he talks about using your authority in order to serve other people in your life. What is Jesus really after in this moment? 
Well, I think in order to answer that, we need to hop back in the car with this military dad who is on his way to deployment, and he is making sure that his family understands the critical information that they need to understand while he is gone. He tells his wife about these financial papers, about these legal documents, about the car maintenance log. What is dad really getting after here? What is he really trying to say? I think that if we could read into this motivation behind the conversation, I think what dad is saying is, you know what, guys, I love you. I really, really love you guys. And honey, I don't want you to be stressed out while I'm gone. I don't want you to worry while I'm gone. I've taken care of everything. Here's what you need to know. And Johnny, you know, I want you to grow up to be a responsible young man who helps out doing the household work as well. And I think the dad is saying, and Mia, you know what? I just think that you're so gifted. And I want you to use your gifts in a way that would serve the family. In short, I think that what dad is saying is, you know what? I'm leaving. And I don't really know when it is that I'm going to come back, when I'm going to be back. I don't want you to simply survive while I'm gone. But I want you to thrive. I want you to experience life to its fullest, even though I'm not going to be here. And I think that this is exactly what Jesus is saying here as well. Jesus finishes out this portion of the conversation in verse 17. And he says this. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. And Jesus is saying, I I want you to move into a relationship with me by allowing me to wash your filthy soul. Continue working on those areas in your life that need to be cleaned up, need to be shaped into my image that you would reflect me well. And, And then use your authority, use your influence in order to serve other people and you will experience a life to the fullest, you will thrive in my absence. And so as we close our time here together this morning, I just want us to think about and to just answer these critical conversations for ourselves. Uh, First of all, have you let Jesus wash you? Have you let Jesus come and cleanse your filthy soul? I mean, that's why he came in the first place. He came to cleanse your filthy heart. He came to set you free from sin. He came to make you new. Secondly, what do you need cleaned up? What area in your life are you still holding on to? And how can you let Jesus renew that, restore you into the person that he has designed you to be? And then finally, what if your authority is actually a place of service? How might you function differently than you currently are right now? We want to be a people who thrive as we look forward and as we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. And so just as Jesus was taking action here in this first conversation, we need to take action in our own lives as well. That we might be a people that he has designed us to be. Let's pray.